Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Our opening scripture is going to be Hebrews chapter 6, 11 through 19. Can you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 19. It reads this, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that you, what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Somebody say faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath, so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would, that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible. Someone say impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to him for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Verse 19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Turn to your neighbor. Write it in your syllabus. The title for this morning's message is... When the promise gets painful. When the promise gets painful. Let's pray over the service tonight. Father, we thank you that we have gathered under your name. Father, we have gathered for no other reason other than to grow closer to your son. Father, we thank you for that in this place we have uh, soft hearts and open minds, God, that we don't want to leave this building the same person we walked in as, God. But instead, we want you to change us from the inside out because you are the only one that can make the impossible possible, God. So right now, we are leading into your spirit. We are leading into your grace, Father, because we want to get everything out of what you have for us right now, Jesus. We love you, Father. You're so good to us. And and Jesus, also have your hand over the Houston Astros as they take on the Tampa Bay Rays tonight, Father, in game one, the ALCS. That being said, y'all can take a seat. Give Jesus some praise. Thank y'all for standing in honor of God's word. So back in August, uh, Haley and I, we, uh, we went on a quick vacay to the hill country, kind of a getaway. We found a, a cute little Airbnb that was by itself kind of isolated um, in, the, in nature, and there wasn't a lot of, or really buildings around us at all. And so it was one of those places where, you know, you step outside and you don't hear cars, you don't hear phones, you don't hear anything. You just hear birds and, 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 and nature. And so it was a really re- relaxing vacation, and we were able to put our phones and turn them off. Come on, somebody who knows that's a big thing. So we were able to do that, and we were feeling uh, really grateful for that. And one of the things I wanted to do with Haley was I wanted to take her uh, hiking um, in the hill country. So when I was a kid, I used to go hiking all the time. And that's one of the things as a kid I, I used to always do. And there was a hiking trail um, nearby where we were staying that I used to go to a lot. It was called um, Moss Maple State Park. So I wanted to take uh, Haley hiking because she didn't go as often as I did, and she's never been to that hiking trail 
And so I, I take her to this hiking trail, and, it, and, and this trail is like a four-mile-long trail, and it goes around this mountain, and then up the mountain, and then down. And I remember it as a kid. I remember it being, you know, just a little bit challenging, but who knows? That's what makes hiking fun, right? You got to work for it. Uh, so we start on this hike. And Haley and I are walking, and we haven't gotten to the part where we go up the mountain yet. We're just kind of walking around it, enjoying nature, um, just enjoying uh, this being with each other and the walking and the talking. And then uh, we get uh, to the part of the trail where it starts to go up the mountain. And I don't have to explain to you all what it feels like in Texas in August, okay? It's hot. And so we're worn out. We're getting worn out, really, from that first kind of third of the trail. And then we look, and I remember us getting to, the, to kind of the base of us going up. And I remember looking at it, and I'm like, man, this wasn't that big when I was a kid. Like, I don't remember it being that high. I don't remember it being that tall. But I was like, you know what? This was my idea. And I was like, so I was like hey, let, let, let's go up this, this mountain. And so we're, we're going up, and we're hiking up, and they have these little ledges that we kind of go up on. And we're not even probably 25% of the way up, and I am, like, hurting, okay? Like, I, my legs are burning. I'm, like, out of breath, but I'm not trying to say anything because this was my idea, you know? So I wasn't going to be like, oh, let's turn back. I wasn't going to be, you know, I was, like, you know, kind of letting out little grunts here and there, not trying to let Haley hear. Um, but then finally Haley was like, you know, about a quarter way up this little mountain. She's like, Caleb, do you remember it being this hard? I was like, no, it wasn't this hard when I was a kid. I felt like it was easy. I don't know if, you know, I must be really reaching that age. And so we're about 25% up the, the mountain. And so we're just both decide this is tough, but we're going to push each other. So it came to the point where, like, Haley and I are literally just, like, dragging each other up uh, the side of this mountain. And we get about halfway there, and we're looking up. And we both kind of had the same thought. We both looked at each other and said, man, this better be worth it. The view from this mountaintop better be worth it. The pain that I'm feeling in my thighs better be worth it. When I get to the top of the mountain, the view better be worth it. Um, and we both kind of looked at it and told ourselves um, that. And, but we, we did make it up. We made it to the top. And um, I think the view was worth it. And we had a good time. I tell y'all that story to kind of give y'all a window into what the life of a Hebrew Christian was like. So back in, you know, that day when a, when a Hebrew chose to follow after Jesus, it, it wasn't just a decision like a decision for you and I. That affected every aspect of their lives beyond what we can imagine. So when a, when a Hebrew who was following after Judaism decides to follow after Jesus, not only would they lose some friends, they would actually lose some family members who would shun them and kick them away. They would actually might even lose their job. They might lose some opportunities. They would lose things in their lives that they didn't think would be the outcome of them following after Jesus. And so the Hebrew people were asking themselves the questions that Haley and I asked ourselves when we were going up that mountain. They asked themselves, is this worth it? They're asking themselves, is following after Jesus really worth it? Is being a good person really worth it? Is being kind to somebody who doesn't deserve it, is it worth it? Is all I'm doing worth it right now? Who's ever asked that question? Is all that I'm doing in life, is that really worth it? And this is what the Hebrew people are feeling. They, they were questioning their promise because they were feeling some pain. They're feeling some pushback. And they were questioning whether it was really worth it. So these Hebrew people, they knew who Jesus was. 
They knew he was the son of God. They knew that he had things in store for him that no other place, no other religion could offer. But yet it says in Scripture, even though they knew who Jesus was, they still turned him, his, their back on him and went back to Judaism because they thought the price of following Jesus was too high. The writer of Hebrews actually calls them out on this in, in verse 5 through 6. It says, He who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turned away from God, it is impossible to bring some, pe- some people back to repentance. Because by rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him to public shame. But why should we think that Jesus is worth it? Why should we think that? Because Jesus thought that you were worth it. Matter of fact, he thought you were worth it so much that he went on the cross just for you. Matter of fact, he thought you were so important that he went through the pain, he went through the lashes, he let those nails go through his hands, and the entire time, he thought you were worth it. So why should we go all in on Jesus? And this is what the writer of Hebrew was trying to explain to them. Why should we go all in on Jesus? It's because he went all in for us. And so if he does that, we have to go after him. But see, the Hebrew people, they knew all this. And it says, in spite of that, they still turned their back on Jesus and went to what was comfortable. Because it was getting hard. They were feeling some pushback and pain. But how many of us can relate to the Hebrews in that moment? How many of us have been chasing after a purpose, have chased after a promise, have chased after a passion on the inside of us, and all of a sudden when things start to get difficult, when things start to feel a pushback and we start to feel the pain of it, we start to look for a way out and we try to go back to where we came from and back to what is comfortable. It says in Hebrews verse 12, it says that, he said that those who are going to inherit God's promises, those people are going to do it by their faith and their endurance. So that's the question for this morning. That's the question for this morning is how do we handle our hope when things get, when things get hard? How do we handle the pain of the promise? How do we stay on path when things don't look good ahead of us? How do we stay to the course? The writer of Hebrews actually uses the life of Abraham as an example in Verse 14 through 15, it says, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently. Somebody say patiently. And he received what God had promised. But when the writer uses the word patiently, it might be one of the greatest understatements I ever read because it's not the same patience that you and I employ on on, on a regular basis. It's not the kind of patience that you and I employ at the Chick-fil-A curbside, okay, when we're waiting five minutes for our nuggets. I mean, who knows, a lot of us, when, when things, when we're at Chick-fil-A and it's longer than five minutes, we start to look around, we're like, what's wrong? Like, this is, this is so crazy. Like, I'm waiting longer than five minutes. Matter of fact, I think that might be some of the things that's wrong with our culture is that we are so used to convenience. Somebody hearing me this morning, that's what I think is wrong with our culture and what turned us is that we are so used to instant gratification. We are so used to Amazon Prime. We are so used to point and click. We are so used to things that's being handed to us that when we actually have to earn it, that when we actually have to go through the fire for it, when we actually have to maybe endure some things, we think it's not worth it because we're just used to things being handed to us. We're just used to things being on a silver platter. We're just used to things falling in our lap. Man, we're used to ordering a couch and it being here in two days, right? 
We're so used to convenience that when things get difficult, we tend to back out. But the type of patience that Abraham employed was far more persevering. See, when Abraham received a promise from God that he would, his descendants would multiply, that he would have a son, he was, at, he was 75 years old. 75. I don't know why it took that long, but he was 75 years old. But he did not step into that promise. His promise did not come into fruition until he was 100 years old. That's 25 years, guys. You and I can barely wait 25 minutes at Chili's, right? He waited 25 years for his promise. He waited 25 years. And here's the thing. It wasn't an easy 25 years. It wasn't a convenient 25 years. And matter of fact, it was difficult. And matter of fact, he made some mistakes along the way. And he had to endure through some things. He had to have some patience. He had to go through some painful moments. But here's the thing. It wasn't easy, but he endured. It wasn't perfect, but he still persevered. And that's the first point for tonight is that it's a process. And with every promise, there's a process. With every promise, there's a process. Every time God promises you something, there's a process that's attached to it. And what I mean by that is this, is that when God promises you something, when he gives you a dream, when he gives you a passion, when he promises you something, you need to know right away that there's a process attached to that promise. So meaning that it's not just going to be handed to us. It's not just going to fall in their lap, that we might have to be patient at some moments. We might have to persevere through some moments. We might have to go through some things to get what Jesus has in store for us. We might have to use our patience. We might have to employ our patience. But you might be in this room this morning, and you're saying, well, Caleb, why does God do that? Why not just snap his fingers, and everything that he promised to us this instantly happens? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, why can't, does, does God not know, not know about Amazon Prime? Like, why doesn't he just make it happen so quickly and so conveniently? Why doesn't he do that? Because we value things way more when, we, when it costs us something. When it costs us something, we value it way more. Who's ever been given a gift that was free or, or you got like a coupon or whatever, and it was something that you didn't necessarily earn and it was free, and then that thing breaks or, that, or you lose that clothing and you're just like, ah, I mean, it was free. I didn't have to pay for it. That's not how God wants his promises to be for you. He wants to make sure that when he gives you something, when you step into his promises, it's something that you hold on to. It's something that you value. It's something that you know that I didn't get here by myself. As a matter of fact, it wasn't easy to get here, but I got here by God's grace. I got here by going through the process that was attached to the promise. But here's what's awesome about God is that anytime he promises you something, when, when he gave you that promise, he graced you for the process. When he gives you that promise, he graced you for the process. So when he gave you that promise that you were going to be a good parent, when he gave you that promise that you were going to step into some things and you're saying, hold up, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And God says, hold up, person, I've graced you for it. It's not about what you have. It's not about your talents. It's not about the things that you can accomplish on your own. It's about the things that I accomplish through you, and that's called grace. And so when you're going through the process and you don't know how you're going to hold on, you need to remember that grace is what keeps keeping you on there. It's not your talent. It's not your strengths. It's not your know-how. Matter of fact, it's the person you know that is keeping you tied to your promise. 
So when the enemy tries to tell you, and this is, I'm trying to help out somebody this morning. When the enemy is trying to tell you you're not qualified, when the enemy is trying to tell you that you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you can respond, well, it's not by me anyways, it's by God's grace. It's not by my works anyways, it's by God's grace. So yeah, I might not be capable, but I know somebody who is. Yeah, I might not know all the things that needs to happen, but thank, thankfully I know who does. And when you tie yourself to grace, I'm telling you, you're going to get through that process because God graced you for that process. So the next time you're a parent and you're trying to be a good parent and the kids are testing your patience, remember you're graced for this. Remember God's got you for this. Remember God's promised you this. The, the next time you're pushing and you're trying to start that business and, man, it's getting painful and you don't know how it's going to happen, remember you are graced for it. That God didn't give you anything that is beyond his grace. But what happens is that when things tend to get hard, when things tend to get painful and our promise is looking bleak, we try to look for a way out. We try to look for a substitute, even if that means we are settling for something less than what God promised us. See, when Abraham was 86 years old, this is 11 years after God promised him that he would have a son, but this is 14 years before it happens. So Abraham is in the middle of his process. He's in the middle of, his, of, of not seeing his promise come to fruition yet, and his patience is low. He's feeling the pain of life. He's saying, God, you promised me something, and I'm not seeing it happen right now. God, you promised me this, but the life, the, the world around me is telling me the opposite. And so his patience is at the lowest it's ever been. His, his pain is at the highest it's ever been. Isn't it funny that when we are at our lowest, the enemy speaks to his loudest? When our patience is at the worst, when our pain is at the highest, that's when the enemy pushes the hardest. So this is what it says in Scripture in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. It says, so Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. You see, Sarai gave Abram a way out, a convenient way out, and Abram took it. Abraham took it, and out of that, out of him sleeping with Hagar, Ishmael came, came and who knows, Ishmael wasn't the promise. It was a substitute. It wasn't, the, it wasn't God's best. It wasn't what God's promised him. It wasn't what God wanted him to step into, but because of the pain, because of his low patience, and because of him this wanting to be, step into something convenient, he settled for something less. I want to tell you all this morning, don't settle for a substitute. If you're watching online, don't settle for a substitute. Don't settle for substitute joy. Don't settle for substitute peace. As a matter of fact, don't settle for anything less than God's best. Because you're promised more than that. You got to know your identity in Christ. You got to know your worth. When you know your worth, you know what you're supposed to be given. And that's nothing less than God's best in your life. But here's the thing about Abraham. He made that mistake. He messed up. He messed up with Hagar. But even though he made a mistake, he still didn't mess it up. Even though he, he tried to, to get out of it, even though he made a wrong step, even though he made that mistake, he still didn't mess it up. I want to tell somebody this morning, just because you made a mistake doesn't mean you messed it up. Just because you might have made a wrong decision doesn't mean that your future is now decaying. 
Just because you made a past mistake doesn't mean your promises are gone. Are gone. So what the enemy will try to convince you of is anytime God gives you a promise, the enemy will try to remind you of your past. Has that ever happened to you? You're kind of getting in your flow. You're, you're getting in your Jesus time. You're getting in your devotion time, and you start feeling some promises in your life. And then as soon as a promise comes, the enemy tries to remind you of what you did or what you think you did or who you hurt or what you've done. And the enemy tries to convince you that those mistakes affect your future. But here's what's awesome about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it doesn't matter how many steps we've taken in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter how many mistakes we made. It doesn't matter how many wrong decisions we think we've made. As soon as we turn our back on those things and as soon as we say, Father, forgive me for that, and you turn your back on that, and as soon as you just take one step, one step in the right direction, you're right back on track in God's will. But what we got to stay away from is what Sarai was thinking. Sarai said to Abram, perhaps we can do better. That's what she said in that scripture. Perhaps we can do this. Perhaps we can do God's will our way and make it happen. That's what we have to stay away from. Because life will always try to offer a convenient way out. Right when things, and here's what I want y'all to catch. I want y'all to be intentional about this. Right when things start to get painful, right when you start to begin to have to persevere through some things, be on the lookout because the enemy's about to offer you a convenient way out. He's about, the enemy's about to say, hey, look, you can do it this way. I bet you, I bet you, see, yeah, God wants you to do that, but I bet you if you do this, you can still make it happen. You may even make it better. And they try to offer you a convenient way out. But we have to stay away from trying to accomplish God's plans by following our own. The only way to get to God's promises is by sticking to the plan that he has for you. And how we end and miss the mark is when we try to do God's will our way, and we can't do that. It says in Scripture that when God made a promise to Abraham... He didn't make a promise on somebody else. He didn't make a promise in what, on somebody's greater. Because most people, when they make a promise, they make a promise on something greater, right? They say, I promise to God I won't do that. Or when you go in court, they put their hand on the Bible, and they promise to tell the truth. And they promise on something greater than themselves. But when God made a promise to Abraham, he is the greatest being there ever was. He is truth. So when he made a promise, he just promised on himself, saying, Abraham... I will make this happen for you. I will bless you, and your descendants will multiply. He made a promise on himself because here's the thing about God. He is the most truest thing that's ever been. Matter of fact, he's the definition of truth. And he, he didn't promise on anybody else. He promised on himself because there was no one greater than himself. And that's what it says in verse 18. It says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Come on, somebody. It's impossible. Somebody say impossible. It is impossible for God to lie. I think there are some people in this room who think some things are impossible. That God has told you something, and you responded with, that's impossible. God told you a promise. God told you a plan. God told you something he has in store for him, and you responded with, God, that's impossible. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't know how this, what you say, is in front of me. I don't know how you're going to do that. But it says that when God speaks, here's the thing. When God speaks, things have to change. Matter of fact, God spoke life into existence. He spoke your life into existence. He spoke the mountains out of the sea. When he spoke, creation lined up with his words. 
It's impossible for him to lie. And this is what I want you all to bank on. If God told you something, it's going to happen. And it doesn't matter what the world is saying. It doesn't matter what your problems are saying. If God told you something, it's going to happen. And that's point number two for, for this morning is what God has spoken can never be broken. What God has spoken can never be broken. So if God has spoken something over your life, it's not a lie. It's impossible for him to lie. We either believe the word or we don't, somebody. Come on, somebody help me. We either believe the word or we don't believe it. So if the word says that it's an impossible for God to lie, we got to put, and we got to go all in on that, on that moment right there. we got to go all in on that saying. So if God says that it's an impossibility for him to lie, and he's the most purest form of truth there is, if God spoke something over your life, you got to take that to the bank. So you, here's what we can't do. We can't let God or the enemy's little lies, the enemy's false statements, the thoughts that we have that might even be from ourselves that speak opposite of God's truth, we can't let those little lies overpower God's truth in our life. There's so many things that we hear at night. There's so many things that we hear during the day. You're not good enough. You're not good enough for that. You're not going to be able to accomplish this. You're not going to be able to accomplish that. And there are lies from the enemy. But I have something to say to you all this morning is that God's word has the final say. God's word has the final say. And it says in that scripture, it said that his word is our refuge. His word is our refuge, the truth, the most purest form of truth ever. Matter of fact, he created truth. This, the word of God, the word of God is our refuge. And so when the storm comes, when the pain starts to mount, when the world, the pressure of the world starts to get on your shoulders, you have somewhere to run. You have a refuge in God's word. So what I'm trying to say this morning is don't listen to what the world is saying. Listen to what the word has promised you. Listen to what the word is telling you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to use God's word so much that if something comes to me that does not line up with the word of God, I'm going to kick it out. Because I know it's a lie. Because God's word is truth. So if God's word is truth and I hear something that does not line up with God's word, then I know it's a lie. Come on, somebody. So if you know it's a lie, why give it even any time of day? Why let it sit in your mind? Why let it get roots in your mind? When it says that the word is our refuge, what it's meaning is that when the enemy starts telling you something, when the enemy starts trying to confuse you, when the enemy starts to try to get you off course, you have somewhere to run. And you can look and he says, hold up. Yeah, you're saying this, but God's word says, uh, says opposite. And you begin to say God's promises over your life. And that's this week's challenge. That is this week's weekly challenge. We give you all this weekly challenge as, as something to help us grow. It is. But we also give this weekly challenge because we want it to stick. We want it to become a habit. We want it to become something in your life that you can lean on. And that's this week's challenge is that every morning when you wake up, first thing you do when you wake up, speak God's promises over your life. Speak God's word over your life. What do I mean by that? Every time you wake up, start speaking God's word over yourself. Start confessing God's promise over yourself. Start speaking the opposite of the lies you're hearing. If the enemy's telling you a lie, start speaking life over yourself. And here's how it works. When the enemy starts telling you that you're a nobody, you respond, hold up. This word says I'm a child of God. When the enemy starts to tell you that you're not good enough, you say, hold up. I'm the head and not the tail. 
when the enemy starts telling you that God doesn't love you, you say, hold up, the word says that I am the apple of God's eye. And you begin to combat those lies with the word of God. Because the only thing that can cancel out lies is the truth. And there's only one purest form of truth that we have, and that is God's word. So every morning, every morning, that's a challenge. we got to speak God's word over ourselves. And I'm telling you, if you do that, I'm telling you, and then you can say, you know what? And the enemy starts telling you that you're not going to accomplish anything. You say, hold up. God has given me promises. I will graduate with that degree, right? I will start that business. I will do the things that God has promised me to do. And when you begin to speak things over your life, you're going to start to see your life begin to change. Because our confession builds our confidence. Our confession builds our confidence. So the more you speak your identity, the less insecure you will feel. If you're feeling insecure in the house, you just need to be reminded of your identity. If you feel worried in the house, if you feel anxious in the house, you need to remind yourself who's in control. And when you keep on speaking and when you keep on confessing promises over your life, I'm telling you, when you speak the truth, you will feel less anxious. When you feel worry. And you speak the truth, that worry will go away. It says in Scripture that the power of life and death is in what? Come on, somebody help me out. It's in what? It's in the tongue. So the more life you speak, the more life you will receive. I'm closing. Can you all stand up with me this morning? It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor. Somebody say anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. See, so back in, in that time and still today, when a, when a sailor, when they're on their boat, and when they see a storm coming, and the wind and waves begin to mount, what they would do is that they would drop anchor. That way, the wind and the waves wouldn't throw them off course. That way, the storm wouldn't take them out of the, and distance them away from where they were trying to go. Can you throw up the boat and anchor graphic? See, sometimes in life, it can come to a point, or a lot of times it comes to a point where it gets painful. You're, you're chasing after promises that God has for you. You're chasing after passion. You're chasing after purpose. And it begins to get painful. And you begin to feel the wind and the waves from that. And you're trying to look for a way out. And really, you're offered two choices. You, you can either go back to where you came or you can anchor down. That boat represents your life. Right? That boat represents your job. That boat represents your family. That boat represents the things in your life. And when the wind and waves come, but here's saying the anchor, the anchor is Jesus. And here's what's powerful about that. It's because Jesus is the only one, the only one that in the middle of your storm will send peace. Jesus is the only one that in the middle of your pain will send peace. And even though it is crazy around you, it is still on the inside of you. Jesus is the only one who can do that. It says in Scripture that him and his disciples were in a boat, and the storm came, and they're losing their minds. A storm came. They're like, 
didn't expect the storm to come. I didn't expect this pandemic to come. I didn't expect 2020 to happen. And they're going like this, and their life is going like this, and they're calling on Jesus, and Jesus steps out, and without no panic in his voice, he says, be still, and it was still. See, Jesus is the only one who can do that. But the question for this morning is, what's the rope? What ties it together? See, the rope is your hope. The rope is your, is your hope. Somebody say, my hope's the rope. My hope is the rope. As long as you tie your hope to Jesus, let me tell you something, that storm won't throw you off course. As long as you tie yourself to Jesus, let me tell you something, you're going to get through it. But here's, here's what we do sometimes. The enemy tries to convince us to tie our hope to other things. We are convinced to tie our hope to people. We are convinced to tie our hope to money. We are convinced to tie our hope to, to, the, to the world or, or to politics. But let me tell you something. If you don't tie your hope, if you tie your hope to anything other than Jesus, it's going to fail you. If you tie your hope to money, the economy can crash in a moment. If you tie your hope to people, people will fail you. If you tie your hope to politics, politicians will disappoint you. But when you tie your hope to Jesus, can I hear a, a clap of praise? When you tie your hope to Jesus... He will never fail you. And that's what I want to close with this morning. It's when your hope is tied to Jesus, hope will never fail. I know some of us, I know most of us, 2020 has been a storm. 2020 has been something that we've been feeling the pain. We feel the pressure. We feel the weight. We feel like things are on us. We feel like we can't make it out of us. But if you tie your hope to Jesus this morning, if you choose to no matter what, to hang on to him, I'm telling you, you're going to make it through. You're going to make it through this season. 2020, you're going to look back and you're going to say, yeah, it was a storm. But man, I gained perseverance through it. I gained some strength from that storm. I got a story from that storm. Because I was able to hold on to Jesus. And through it all, through every difficulty, through every pain, through everything that the life tried to throw at me, Jesus came through. Jesus came through. So I want to pray a prayer this morning. And I want us to be reminded of who our hope is tied to. I want us to be reminded who has the power, who has the control, and that no matter what, what we're feeling, God's promises will always come through. So with every head bowed, eyes closed, and we're going to sing a song in a minute, and I'm going to ask Pastor Caleb to step up. But I want us just to stay here just for a moment. And I want us to welcome in the Holy Spirit. And to see what happens when we tie our hope to Him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is in this room. We thank you, Father, that you are already inside of us. And although it might be crazy around us, as long as we are tied to you, as long, Father, as we are anchored to you, God, we're not going to drift away. We're not going to fall out. We're not going to be tossed and turned. Instead, we're going to be the ones who are founded on a foundation that can't be broken. We're going to be the ones who's going to be secured in the storm. So right now, God, break away all other forms of hope except in you, Jesus. We break away our hope in people, our hope in money. God, because we only want to be tied to you, Jesus. We only want to be tied to you, Jesus. 
So we welcome in your Holy Spirit. We don't have to be the same person we walked in as. As a matter of fact, the anxiety we feel can leave right now in this moment. The worry we feel can leave right now in this moment. The lies that are in our head can be gone right now in this moment. So, Father, we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. And we just ask you to work in our heart in this moment. If you believe Jesus is here, why don't you give him a shout of praise in this building? Why don't you give him a shout of praise in this room? And let's sing a song. And let's make sure that our hope is tied to Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.